We've been in a series uh, that we've called Misfits, and this is sort of the tail end of that series, even though I'm weaving in a vision. There are some very specific things I'll be sharing concerning what we believe God is calling us to do this year in 2018, very specific goals. But let's look to our anchor text, and as you turn to our anchor text, uh, I've chosen as a title for today's message, From Here to There. Uh, That's what vision does. Vision has a way of moving individuals from where they are to where God desires them to be. All right? That's what vision does. If I were to give you another definition of vision, it would simply be this. Vision is a mental picture of the preferred future that God has already designed for you. I'll say that again. It is a mental picture of the preferred future. That means God's plan for your life and my life is better than anything I could ever conjure up in my imagination. So the key then is not to just dream something up. The key is to align my life with what God has already purposed for me. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, right? We quote that often. But notice what the verse says. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and harm you to give you a hope and an expected end. Who has the plan? God does. My part is to align my life with what God has already dictated and determined for my life. And if you've heard me say it once, you've probably heard me say it a thousand times here at City Church, that who I am and what I was created to do is not for me to decide, it's for me to discover. Why? Because God has already designed it. God has already purposed it. Who I am. And what I'm created to do is God-appointed, not self-assumed. So when it comes to vision, vision is about discovering what God has already designed, what God has already planned for me. And it is a mental picture of the preferred future that God intends for me. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Habakkuk uh, chapter 2. I'm sorry. My anchor text, let me read my anchor text first. Uh, My anchor text is lifted from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22, verses 1 through 2 from the Message Bible. Man, the more I preach, the better I feel. Glory to God. I kind of feel like, you know, Mike, back in the day, Michael Jordan, when he had the flu. That playoff game, man, you know, Mike was sweating, and that's how I feel right now, man. I might drop about 35. Come on, somebody. Yeah, the more I preach, the better I feel. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Our anchor text for, for, anchor text for this series has been 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. I'll be reading from the message translation, and it records these words. So David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down and joined him. Somebody say alignment. Whatever I separate from determines what I align with. What I walk away from always determines what God brings me into. It's a big deal. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers, vagrants, and misfits of all sorts. Not necessarily the 1992 Olympic Dream Team. Come on, somebody. Hmm? the least of these, 
the ones voted least likely to succeed, became David's army. And what we have discovered over the last three weeks is that God has not chosen the wise things of this world, not the noble things of this world, but he has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So if you've ever felt like a misfit, ever felt like you're not enough, if others have made you feel like you were too much or not enough, you're in good company. God can still do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And I believe that's what God desires to do in and through our church. David became their leader, and there were about 400 men in all. Four things I'm going to share this morning regarding what I believe God is calling us into as a community of believers. First, let me talk about vision. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 from the New King James Version remind us to write the vision and make it plain. I like what John Maxwell says because John Maxwell says, don't believe it unless it's written down. It is possible to have a lofty dream, but if it's not written down, don't believe it. There was an Ivy League study that was done uh, probably in the late 70s where the graduating class from Yale, right? I forget how many of them, but they were asked in this survey how many of them had their goals written down. Of that graduating class, I think there was only about 10% who had their goals written down, even though all of them had the privilege and the benefit of an Ivy League education. 20 years later, when this same class was interviewed, that 10% were the CEOs of companies and the rest of them, the 90%, were somewhere in the middle. They attributed the success of the 10% to the fact that what they believed, they wrote down. It is a biblical principle that is not enough just to have a vision. It's not enough just to see it, write it down. Now, why do we write it down? You write the vision, you make it plain on tablets. Why? So that he may run who reads it. When it's written down, it moves people to action. If you don't write it down, if you're not clear about what it's supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, what results is inactivity. Because you're uncertain about what you're supposed to do and even how you're supposed to do it. So I'm gonna share with you shortly a few things that are very specific, that are very measurable, attainable, et cetera, et cetera. For you corporate people, you know about SMART goals, right? All right, so here we go. Notice verse three. For the vision is for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come it will not tarry. My wife famously says this, equally as important as the plan of God and the purpose of God is the timing of God. There are many of us who have a compelling dream, a compelling vision for God, but we're trying to make the vision and the dream happen out of sequence at the wrong time. Notice what the scripture says. 
No matter what God is telling you now, it is for an appointed time. And it requires tremendous sensitivity, not only to what God is saying specifically, but when God is saying that you should do it. Are y'all with me? So when it comes to vision, number one, it needs to be clearly articulated. Number two, it needs to be written down. And number three, it is for an appointed time. The challenge with the appointed time is many of us throw in the towel prematurely. We get impatient and we get tired waiting on God. But whatever God speaks to you in this season is for an appointed time. It requires tremendous sensitivity, not only to what God said, but when he said to execute it. Remember we said it here at City Church? That patience is learning to move at somebody else's pace? Didn't he give Joseph a dream at 17 that didn't come to pass until he was 30? Didn't he anoint David king at 16 and David didn't sit on the, on the throne till he was 30? Didn't he give Abraham this dream of being the father of many nations at 75 and Sarah didn't give birth until Abraham was 100? The vision is for an appointed time. Can I, can I just tell you this? That many times in life we celebrate over the promise, but we resist the process. The 13 years for Joseph was about the process. The 25 years with Abraham was about the process. The 14 years for David was about the process. And the question always becomes, can I continue to be faithful to what God has told me to do even when I don't feel successful? I'm going to get to my message, but I'm talking to some people in this room right now. Right now. What if, what if you find yourself like Peter in Luke chapter five? The scripture says he had toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, wasn't Joseph, I mean, uh, Peter, a professional fisherman? Eventually say he would know something about fishing. And even though he has fished all night, he catches nothing. Jesus, James shows up the next morning. And says to Peter, go out and do it again. In fact, Peter was washing his nets, signifying that he had quit for the day. Jesus shows up and says to him, Peter, launch out into the deep. Come on, somebody. I don't know who is on the verge of launching out into the deep. The deep can be a scary place, though. Jesus says, you've been working all night and this thing ain't working out for you. Check this out, bro. Do it one more time. Do it again. Don't just do it again, but do it in the place where you have been unsuccessful. No, no, no. This is what most of us want, right? We want God to give us a new assignment in a new place. What if God gives you a new assignment in the same place? Because this time they had toiled all night, but Jesus wasn't in the boat. He gives them a new assignment. And he says, this time you do it, I'm going to be in the boat with you. It won't be at night. It will be in broad day. The problem with that 
is in the Middle East, the best time to catch fish was at night. That's when the fish would gather, not when the sun was hot. And sometimes the vision that God gives you for your life may not make any sense to anybody else. In fact, sometimes the vision that God gives you will require you as a fisherman to listen to the advice of a carpenter. Peter could have said, Jesus, you build houses. I catch fish. What you tell me about going back and doing this again? And for some of us, we miss God because of the illogical instruction. For some of us here this morning, he's not saying quit. He said, I'm going to give you new eyes when you go back into that same lake. And this time, you're going to catch a haul. Are y'all with me? Can I continue to be faithful to God in the times in my life when I don't feel successful? Because it's not about the promise only. It's about the process. That's the way God works. It's about who you are becoming in the process. I want you to hear that. The 13 years, the 14 years, the 25 years is not about God's delay or God's denial. It's about God's development. Okay. Who am I becoming while I'm waiting for the fulfillment of the dream? Is the question. Remember, the vision is for an appointed time. So what does that mean for City Church? All right. I was hoping for a slightly bigger whiteboard. Can, can you all see back there? <laughs> slightly bigger, slightly bigger. Slightly bigger whiteboard. Can you all can see back there at all? I, I'm just going to draw a little bit and, and, and write the vision down. Make it plain for where we are in the life cycle of our church. The principles I'm going to share with you right here are transferable. This is not just about church. This is about life. And I'm just going to draw this little thing over here. Y'all can see that? I didn't do a good job of drawing it, but y'all get the picture. In the life cycle of every church, even in relationships, are y'all with me? I'm just going to give you five things quick about the importance of, of where we are and what God is calling us to do in this season. Relationships begin with a need to connect or reconnect. Everybody here in this church is either connecting with God for the first time, connecting with church for the first time, or reconnecting with God and other Christ followers after a very long time. Every relationship that you have, every relationship that I have, begins with a need to connect. Uh, sometimes this desire to connect is a desire that comes from wanting something new, and there's nothing wrong with wanting something new. Sometimes this desire to connect could be the fact that people have relocated to the area or transitioned from another church. But in every relationship, in every organization, there are moments in your life when you will begin to desire something 
new. Uh, there are people who come to our church all the time who come because they're looking for something new. They're either looking to connect, reconnect with a, a new body of believers, or they're looking to connect with God for the first time. Now, let me tell you about that process. It quickly moves from reconnection, reconnection to something called the romantic phase. Uh, uh, when, you, when you meet somebody for the first time, man, and you really like them, you're really interested in it, it's, it's really romantic. Uh, the same is true, the same is true for, for church. This is my favorite part of this whole process. Can I tell you why it's my favorite part of, my, of the whole process? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why it's my favorite part of this whole process. Because that's when after church people come and say, oh, Pastor Ray, this is the best church I've ever been to. Oh, the people are so kind. They're so loving. Oh, I love the way you preach, Pastor. Best communicator I have ever heard. I, I get that sometimes. I get that sometimes. That's the romantic phase. After three months. After three months, most people transition to the next phase, which is the reality phase. Uh, the romance ends, and we transition to the reality phase. Uh, can I tell you what the reality phase is? Well, this church isn't exactly what I thought it would be. <laughs> they, they, they closed children's church at 10.15. I showed up at 10.20. Well, the pastor said some of the message that I really didn't like. So I'm going to pack up my toys and go somewhere else. There's two more steps to this process. But can I tell you that most people who go to church today get trapped right here between reconnection, the romantic phase, and reality, and it's called the doom loop. Let me tell you what the doom loop is. The doom loop is when you and I give up on something because reality sets in. Now, can I tell you what most people are looking for when they go to church? They are looking for a perfect church. And can I tell you what a perfect church is to most people? A perfect church to most people is a place where they give me everything and require nothing of me. Now, this is straight talk this morning. The reality sets in that maybe I'm in a place where I'm not going to get everything I want. And maybe they're going to ask something of me. It's not only true in churches, but it's true in relationships. The reason we move from the romantic phase to the reality phase is all of a sudden you realize hold up, this dude don't take a shower every day? Man, he cute and all, but... Right. And we give up on the potential of a thing, and guess what we do? We start all over. We start all over. Let me, let me tell you, in the context of a church, the reason this usually happens is when people are asked to do something or they're asked to give of themselves. That's when pe most people's like, man, this ain't for me. 
because we begin to face reality that if we're going to be better as a church, if we're going to be better as a community of faith, it's going to require everyone doing their part. Now remember, the people who were in the cave, what kind of people were they? They were all misfits. Can I just tell you that as long as you and I have flesh, we will deal with the imperfections of others. But it doesn't mean that you abandon the cave. It means that we make allowances for other people's faults so that we all can get better together. So what's God calling us to do? He's calling us to love him, but also to love people. Let me tell you the problem with the doom loop. Hmm? If you don't like starting over, stop quitting. Stop quitting when it gets a little hard. Stop quitting when it doesn't go your way. And can I promise you, the ones who suffer the most are the children who watch us in our instability. The ones who suffer the most are our children who overhear us talk about how much we hate the church, how much we hate the pastor, how much we don't like this, and we don't like that. And in Liberia, we have this proverb that says, when two elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. When mommy and daddy don't get along, and they're fighting and cussing each other out, it's the grass that suffers. And our children watch our instability. And the, and the amazing thing is the, the only common denominator in the dozen churches that people have visited in the last year is themselves. So what am I talking about? Everybody in this room has issues. You've got them. I've got them too. But when we find ourselves together in the cave and reality sets in, the question becomes, can I make the most of this situation? And can I make it better for others. The people who are hurt the most are not only the children, but the people who are hurt the most are the church itself. Because now you've got a part of the body that's not functioning the way it's supposed to. A part of the body that's supposed to be connected to the rest of the body and supplying something that all of a sudden isn't supplying anything. Let me, let me tell you about the person that's hurt the most. It's the person who's caught in the doom loop. Because no matter where you go, it'll never be enough. So what does that mean for our church? My prayer is that we will be the kind of church for people who are caught in the doom loop to be restored. Be restored. The, the, the step that follows that reality is most people in their pursuit of a perfect church, get to the response phase, which is when they give up on God. I've had conversations this month, my wife and I, people who've said, man, I'm just going to quit coming to church, man. Uh, nobody loves me. I was sick and nobody called me. 
Nobody noticed I wasn't even there. And so people get caught in the doom loop and they quit on God. My prayer is that we will become the kind of church where when people find themselves caught somewhere between where they were and where they could be, that they will rediscover, that's the final phase, that they will rediscover their purpose in life. And that is this, that no church is perfect. Three things, no church is perfect. You want to know how to break the doom loop? Realize that no church is perfect. And just because somebody says no to you doesn't mean they don't love you. For most of us, our definition of love is just say yes. The way we break this doom loop is recognize that no church is perfect. Number two, that you have something to offer. Even in a church that is imperfect. That you can make a difference and help the church be better. And number three, that this is a place to connect. So my prayer is that in 2018 and beyond, we will be the kind of church where people who find themselves trapped in the doom loop, where they're quitting and starting over, quitting and starting over, that they will find a place where they can connect and call home. So Pastor Ray, what does that mean specifically for our church? My prayer this year, my prayer this year, y'all ready for this? is that as a body believers, we will shatter the 200 ceiling in attendance. Shatter the 200 ceiling in attendance. That's goal number one. Right now, our church is probably about 140 in the weekly attendance. Total number of people who call City Church home, right at about 220, 230. What that suggests is that there are 90 people who for one reason or the other choose not to come to church on Sunday morning. About 230 say City Church is my home, but only 130, 140 show up on any given Sunday morning. It begs the question, why? That there is a reason why some people would rather stay home than be connected on Sunday morning with the body. That has to change. And we have to become the kind of church where people desire to be here, where people want to be here. Because they're loved. Let me tell you why that's important. The reason that's important is because Sunday morning is a place where we gather. Uh, but most of what we do on Sunday morning, City Church, is transactional. People show up, they serve, and then they leave. So on Sunday morning, City Church is a place where we gather, but gathering alone is not enough. Because most of what we do on Sunday mornings is transactional. In 2018, one of the ways that we can break the 200, shatter the 200 ceiling and break the 200 barrier is by not only being a church where people gather, but a place where we can connect. Are y'all with me? Now, let me tell you something about gathering. We have to be consistently good at what we do. It's a brand issue. If we're not consistent in what we do on Sunday mornings, People are not going to trust what we do. So everything we do on Sunday mornings when people gather matters. Whether it's the worship, 
whether it's the preaching, whether it's how we receive our guests, all of it matters because we're going after people who are caught right here in this doom loop and are looking for a place they can connect and have meaningful community. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to shatter that 200 ceiling. Number two, we're going to take ownership. Vision is not only about the person casting the vision, but it's also about the people who come on board to help move the vision forward. What does that mean? What I'm saying here this morning doesn't rest on my shoulders alone. It doesn't rest on Wendy's shoulders alone. It will happen because each person who calls City Church home is doing their part, no matter what that is. Notice Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, verses 17 through 18. This is Nehemiah speaking to the multitudes, and he comes to this crowd of leaders and, and people in Jerusalem. The walls had been lying in ruins, and he comes, and this is what he says in verse 17. It says, then I said, this is Nehemiah casting vision for the preferred future that God had designed for the people. He says, you see the distress that we are in. He talks about the problem. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. And then he gives them an invitation and he says, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may be no longer a reproach. What I'm doing this morning is saying simply, simply saying this. There are people who desperately need a real encounter with Jesus. And not just with Jesus, but with people who love Jesus and will love them. And what I'm saying is let's do this together. Let's do it together. Notice the people's response. And he says, and I told them, verse 18, of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, notice, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. How does this happen? How do we shatter the 200 ceiling? It's not because it's just me and Pastor Wendy or a few people doing the right things. It's about each of us doing our part, no matter what that is, to make a difference. In fact, I'm looking, I'm looking around the room right now, and I see Shavonda, your friend, is here because you invited her. She's been coming for several weeks. I see Angie, and I see Marcy. They've all been coming because of a simple invite. I also see people who are a part of our church and leading and leading in a significant way, talking about the doom loop that the people who invited them, I'm thinking about Dexter and Andrea, no longer even go to this church. They thought enough about City Church to invite them. But when they got out of the romantic period and reality set in, jumped ship. It's crazy how human nature is. That we can believe something is good enough to tell others about it. But when things don't go our way, we find something else. God is calling us to be a part of that answer to people who are just caught in that doom loop, who can never settle anywhere. And the way it happens is by realizing, y'all, realizing that no church is perfect. Notice what uh, uh, Brian Houston said. He's the senior pastor of Hillsong Church. He said, great churches aren't built on the gifts and talents of a few but on the sacrifices of many. 
And if we're going to build a great church here at City Church, it's going to be because of the sacrifice of many, not on the gifts and talents of a few. And the word there is ownership. We all take ownership in what happens next at City Church. Number three. Number three. Community. Can I just talk about that for a second as I prepare to close? One of our prayers, one of my prayers for City Church is that we will become the kind of church where we are doing life together, genuinely, where we become our brother's keeper because that's what the church was created to be. Now remember, those who came into the cave were all who were in distress, all who were in debt, and all who were discontent. Can you imagine what was going on in that cave? People were struggling with a lot of relational issues. But God wants us to be the kind of church that makes allowances and makes room for other people's faults, including mine, because ultimately we realize that no church is perfect. And that's how we begin to build community. Because again, it's not only about what happens on Sunday morning, it's also about what happens after we leave. Notice Acts uh, chapter, uh, in fact, before that, Jane Howard said it this way. She said, call it a clan, call it a network, call it a tribe, call it a family, whatever you call it, whoever you are, you need one. So for those of us who are used to being isolated and, and doing life by ourselves, listen, we need each other. We are not the body parts of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we are to remain connected because of what every joint will supply. You have something that I need. And I have something that you need. And the way the church becomes healthy and strong is not only because there's compelling vision, right? It's not only because of ownership, but there has to be genuine community. And that's one of the things that we're going to launch in 2018 is small groups. Because small groups will give us an opportunity not just to gather on Sunday morning, but it'll give us a place to connect. Because that's where the transformation happens in the context of small groups. We had small groups a few years ago, and there was tremendous transformation that happened in those small groups where people were meeting each other's needs, where people were, were aware of the needs in each other's lives. And it allowed us to learn to truly walk out what Jesus said about loving him and loving people. A lot of times we put the onus on the church, that it's the church's response, well, the pastor didn't call me. Or the pastor didn't come visit me. When the truth is, it's the body of Christ, the church, that is supposed to meet those needs in the lives of those people. Can I just say this to you real quick? Anybody who says that we were aware of a need and didn't respond in some way isn't telling the truth. I want you to hear that again. Because I have had to deal with that for years. And let me tell you the way Pastor Wendy and I have always been and our church has always been. We don't let the left hand know 
what the right hand is doing. And just because we don't broadcast our generosity or benevolence that we show people, doesn't mean that we're not meeting those needs. But the way the church works is not for it always to come from the pastor or the pastor's wife. We are the body of Christ. And we are supposed to be meeting each other's needs. Notice what the scripture says in, over here in Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 44 through 47. It says, now all who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Somebody say community. That's what the church looks like. The church becomes others-centered. The church becomes selfless. And it's not about what the church can do for me, but it's about what I can do for others when we're connected in community. Notice what it says next. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord did what? He added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know why that's important? Because Jesus said the world will know that we are Christians by our love. And if the world looks at a church that is selfish, they're not going to be attracted to that. What if we became the kind of church where we were genuinely and truly our brother's keeper and we were like this New Testament church? The scripture says, God added daily to the church such as we're being saved because that kind of church is irresistible where we genuinely care, I mean genuinely care for the welfare of one another. Finally, growth. Growth. Notice Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Notice when the growth happened. The growth happened because there was compelling vision. The growth happened because there was ownership. Everybody took responsibility for their part of the vision. Number three, because there were community. These people were connected and all pulling in the same direction. And then the exponential growth happened. So this year, we're trusting God that we will break the 200 barrier. We'll break that 200 ceiling. We've been above 200 before, but we're going to break that ceiling again. Everybody in this room has a part in that. The power of a simple invitation. I mentioned Dexter and Andrea. I mentioned Shavonda and her friends. I mentioned Ashley and her friends who are all a part of this body. And there are several others who came because of the power of an invite. If we grow to the next levels, because each one is doing their part by taking the ownership of the vision. Number three, we're going to launch small groups, and that is in March of this year. And the reason we're launching small groups is because that is where we are going to connect in community and meet each other's felt needs. But not only meet the needs of the people within the church, that's where we become missional and begin to meet the needs outside of our church. A few years ago when we had life groups, 
Each life group was charged with finding a need in the community and meeting that need. It was a powerful time. In fact, one of the, the life group leaders said this. He said, on the drive to serve this fam, uh, 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 hearts and hands in Dallas, my daughter wanted these hundred plus dollar pair Jordans. He said, all the way down to Dallas. She talked about how much she wanted Jordans and told me and my wife about how mean we were for not wanting to get her the Jordans. Anybody relate to that? Mommy, daddy, you're mean. So they show up at Hearts and Hands in Dallas. And they saw the line wrapped around the building, homeless people. And for the three hours they were there, their daughter couldn't stop crying. On the drive back, said, Mommy, Daddy, I don't want those shoes anymore. He said, well, Ray, uh, no, that's the power of what happens when we become others-centered. As we grow, y'all, we also have to expand our ability to believe. Can I keep it real with y'all? One of the ceilings that we have is, is facilities. Is facilities. We live, we live in a very consumer-driven community where people generally want bells and whistles. And so part of the challenge that we have is while this movie theater allows us to do ministry on an affordable level, it still has some hindrances or, or obstacles to doing ministry here. I've talked to a lot of people like, man, I don't want my, my children in a movie theater crawling around the floor. And they don't even know that we've done our very best to have padded floors and all the furniture in there is from Ikea. But most times families want what's best for, for them. And so part of what we're believing that's going to be a catalyst for our growth is trusting God to relocate into new facilities. Can I just be honest with you guys? Is it straight talk? Straight talk. It's going to require more of each of us, man. The scripture says to whom much is given, much more is required. And again, when I talk about the Goliaths that stand in front of us, to activate the Davids inside of us, that is real talk. I've always believed never to limit what God can do based on what I have in my hand. When I started City Church, when Wendy and I started City Church, all we had was a promise from God from Exodus chapter 3 and verse 20 that said, you will not go out empty-handed. That's all we had. How many of you realize when you quit your job, they stop paying you? If you didn't know that, I'm telling you. But all we had was this dream from God. That hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. But as I look at where we are and what I believe God is calling us into, and part of that is getting into a space that we can call our own. A lot of the kids, the teenagers here, they're here early, 7, 8 o'clock, setting up and tearing down. That's not exactly what a teenager wants to do with their time on Sunday morning. They want to sleep in. Uh, we have areas of the ministry that are understaffed, even though we've asked people to serve. 
It's just going to require more of each of us on every level. Even when I look, this is just straight talk now. Even when I look at our giving, it's like, how is this possible to move from where we are to where we need to be? I look at all the spaces, when I look at all the spaces around here and I see for-profit businesses going out of business where they are supposed to, and you ask about what it cost to get into one of those spaces. And the reason those businesses are closing is because the real estate is too expensive and they are for profit and they have a corporate headquarters. And some of them are Fortune 500 companies that are closing their doors. The question then becomes, Ray, you crazy. How are you going to pay for that? But I know that God is faithful. I know that God is faithful. And so we're trusting God. We're trusting God to do something amazing even beyond our ability, even beyond our ability. But that doesn't mean we can't do our part, no matter how big or how small. And part of the invitation this morning is for us not only to consider how we can help break the 200 ceiling. It's not only about maybe opening your home when we launch life groups, but it's also about how you can give financially as we make the decision to move into bigger and better spaces. If I told you the number of giving units we have here at City Church, you would be like, oh, Lord, have mercy on Pastor Ray. Because our church is being sustained by a handful of people. Just a few faithful people. Just recently, as I started to think about, okay, okay, how can we move the ball? And I looked at all of our giving records, man. Not to be nosy, but as a leader, that's something you have to do. I said to myself, Lord, we got work to do. But if we each did our part, 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 part, no matter what it is. And I don't even know I should even say this. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to give you details. I'm not going to give you details. But I'm just going to talk to you about what God is doing in this season beyond our ability. Art, why don't you come? Art, why don't you come? I will be having, I can't tell you, I can't tell you. Just say the Lord has opened a phenomenal door of opportunity, man. A phenomenal door of opportunity that I couldn't have opened for myself that I could not have opened for myself, for City Church. And God will continue, he will continue to move us in the right direction so that we can break this doom loop for people who are hurting. That's what God has called us to do. And in order to do that effectively, I believe that one of the ways is that God's gonna move us from where we are into a new facility where we can meet the needs of the people consistently. Art, why don't you come? So last year, we announced that we were uh, launching City Church 2.0. Uh, over the last several weeks, we passed out brochures 
And in fact, today was the day that we asked you to return your faith commitments, your, your pledge cards. Uh, we're not asking you to do more than you're able to do. We're simply asking you to do what you can do. And we trust that God will make up the difference for us. He always has. He always has. There's never been a time, never been a time that we've been in need and God hasn't come through. Always been faithful. But as we grow to the next level, I believe God is asking all of us to stretch and do a little bit more. I went to a conference yesterday, Art, and three or four pastors came up to me and said, hey, are you Ray Harmon? I said, yeah. I said, hey, man, I've been studying your church, man. I said, yeah, uh, I found you on the internet and you guys in the movie theater. Man, how do you have a multicultural church? What you doing? What's your secret? Four pastors I had never seen or heard of before at this conference studying what we're doing at City Church, listening to podcasts. We are making a difference, y'all. And God is going to enlarge and expand our influence. But in order to more effectively reach this community, facilities are an important part of that next step. So here's what you can also do. If you have ideas for any of the spaces, all right, if you have some expertise, and I know I've talked to Jason Avant, he's a building project manager. Several of you have that type of background. We'll be forming our different committees and uh, preparing for the next step, and so we want to hear from you. Also, if you have ideas, suggestions for what the space can look like, send those ideas and suggestions to info at citychurchtv.com. We want to see what those suggestions are, those ideas, and we want to get better. If you came this morning, you came prepared with your pledge cards because we have been announcing that over the last several weeks. On your way out, Stephen uh, will be at the exit, and I'll ask the team to come now, the worship team to come, uh, as we are prepared to dismiss.